On today's podcast episode, we discuss the virtual management of patients with inflammatory arthritis. We are joined by Dr. Janet Pope, who is a professor of medicine in the Division of Rheumatology, Epidemiology, and Biostatistics at the University of Western Ontario. She is also the Division Head of Rheumatology at St. Joseph's Health Care Centre in London, Ontario. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Dr. Pope, and uh, thanks so much for joining me on this nice fall day. I uh, appreciate your, your time and uh, talking with us about uh, COVID and, and how, you know, that's really affected your practice and, and how you can really assess patients, you know, properly, uh, virtually. So I just wanted to ask, you know, it, was this uh, virtual platform of dealing with patients something that you dealt with before COVID, and and how have you uh, how have you managed with that? Right. So I'm I'm really glad to be here, and I can say that the world for patient care and most physicians changed overnight. So although we've had Ontario uh, Health Network like OTN, where you could do it uh, teleconferencing, usually there was say a healthcare provider on the other side. The video in the olden days, you had to book like the room for it. Very few people embrace that because a lot of what I do as a rheumatologist, of course, is not just the history, which you can get very nice on the phone usually, but it's really um, a med check when they say, oh, I don't know where it is, but it comes down to really the physical exam. So someone says they don't have swollen joints and on exam they do, the physical trumps. Or if they say my joints are swollen and I look and say, well, you've got bony change from osteoarthritis. You don't have active RA. It's really, we just need the physical so much. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of benefits for patients. So I, we have people in rheumatology in many of our areas, rural, where they'd have to drive in a large distance, older, so maybe um, one of their uh, kids would have to drive them in, take a day off work as well. So I think that that aspect is really quite nice. And with COVID, um, our elderly people, we do want to stay out of harm's way. So if we don't have to drive them uh, two hours each way and we can do it well on the phone, it's great. The downside is for each patient, there is redundancy. So I would say uh, I probably right now uh, am seeing two-thirds virtually, one-third in person, all news now in person because you really have to get a sense mm -hmm. on that first visit to know who they are. But again, do the exam and is this someone that needs follow-up or not? But the downside is for the people that we talk to, you know, if they need to come in for us to do a physical exam or we're not sure what's going on or things like lupus or multi-organ, I have to listen to lungs if they say they're short-winded and things like that. You can't just easily have them go get an x-ray. You want to have a look and a listen. Um, I would say at least one in 10 and often one in five of the people that I see virtually, um, you, they have to come in. So that means it's more time for them because it's yet another time we're booking them. But for our offices, it's overwhelming. You know, it's like, increasing our numbers. And here at St. Joe's, our numbers went up from March, where really mid-March is where this, the lockdowns and shutdowns started to happen. Our numbers were up about a few to 10% per month 
uh, since March compared to last year for those very reasons. Well, at first everyone was home too. <laughs> you can right. phone and they were home. Now they go, I'm at work. And you go, well, didn't you know you had an appointment? Not that I'm on time, by the way, but it's so, so it is um, um, navigating the virtual word, world for a rheumatologist is tough and they might uh, email us pictures and um, that then they're kind of blurry or you're not even mm -hmm. sure. I'm trying to look at a rash or a swollen joint. I said, you know, want both hands to compare. So it's, yeah. um, it's a different world. On the other hand, I'm really surprised for some people how well it works. Hmm. So in what situations do you find it, it really does work, you know, uh, that you're able to conduct the, the meeting virtually? Right. So um, there's a lot of people who have done very well as a, for instance, a person with rheumatoid arthritis who say now has been in remission for five years. That visit annually, because they were so good, they often only came annually before COVID, was somewhat social. You got to know what's going on and the adherence and all that. Somewhat into can we demedicate? Not fully demedicate but maybe taper down some meds or something like that but it was like quick joint exam here's your prescriptions here's your you know 12 months worth of blood work forms again and we'll see you in a year so some of those people doing well I know my colleagues aren't always comfortable but someone I've known that really has been in remission the last four years who would come normally annually I'm saying I'll see you in a year and realizing a year from now might not be a see it might be a talk to so our virtual uh, things are mostly phone calls and then later you know, if you need pictures or you need to come in. So it's worked well for them. I think for some elderly, our goals are sometimes different. We want them comfortable, but I don't have to have zero swollen joints with rheumatoid arthritis again, as a for instance, or we don't have to have, I'm not monitoring their blood sugars, but their HbA1c doesn't have to be perfect. You just don't want them really hyperglycemic for um, complications sake, because if someone's very elderly, we're looking at good quality of life in a few years. If someone's young with rheumatoid or diabetes, you're looking at decades and decades. So for some of those people, I think it keeps them safe. Although a lot of them liked the social aspect of coming and now it's nice for them to talk, but the, some might feel isolated and then you'd rather bring mm -hmm. them in, but I can't in good conscience bring them in if they don't have to come. But we say, mm -hmm. do you want another phone call? You want to talk to our nurse or our pharmacist, part of the team. So mm -hmm. it's worked for them and to you know do these phone checks more often on someone like that, that we're concerned about mood or getting forgetful because um, even their loved, their loved ones, the kids and grandkids are seeing them from a distance or not seeing them so much because they don't want to make grandma sick. Right. Yeah, that's it's very it's very difficult, I'm sure, to even make the judgment call on on whether that's a person that should come in. What about sort of their own risk factors for coming in? Because you know, is it like the subtypes of, um, of inflammatory arthritis and so on that would make a difference to that decision? So it's an excellent question, and we used to not know, and now we think we know. So COVID's evolving, and you know, the, the the disease, the virus could mutate, and maybe what I tell you today might be different later but so far it appears that if you're not on high dose prednisone um, and you're not on major major immune suppression the way you would be maybe for a lymphoma and that's not the type that we use so your risk factors seem to be for rheumatoid and lupus and myositis and ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis and Crohn's and all those things about the same as the age match population so advanced age 
men more than women, if you're elderly, uh, already obstructive lung disease, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, high dose prednisone, um, sometimes high BMI, high uh, body mass index. Some of those things seem to be the risk factors and not our methotrexate or our advanced therapies of our JAK inhibitors or biologics and not necessarily low dose prednisone, but prednisone has always increased the risk of infection. So we do try to avoid it. And that's another thing I'd rather bring you in and inject a knee than give you prednisone over the phone if um, it's only one joint flaring with your psoriatic arthritis. Um, but yeah, so we do risk profiles. So age is a big deal or someone that has been unfortunate enough to have huge problems with viral infections in past, not, maybe not so much bacterial, that person's still at risk of infections, including current viral infections. But fortunately, most people, we can very much reassure them, use your precautions, hand washing, social distancing, keep your bubble and wearing a mask um, when going out, all those things. Um, we can reassure them that their usual meds are on for us, for our diseases, well, their diseases, but our prescriptions aren't going to change their risk factors for doing poorly with COVID, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Mm. Oh, that's, uh, well, that's very reassuring. Yeah, that it's, it's more just age matched, and it's not related to the disease itself that would increase their risk, you know. Um, and, and, and the treatments, is that the, the same uh, um, case that with the treatments that they're taking, that uh, those right. are not increase their risk, right? Right. Yeah. And that and also, there's always a downside. So when we didn't know, we said, well, there's a risk of stopping your meds. If you flare, you end up in the emergency room. And because we didn't have very good testing then, and also even now, nasal, nasal pharyngeal swab. So COVID swab is one third of people with COVID can have a false negative reading. So mm -hmm. we're not perfect uh, on even like our diagnosis. So when hardly anyone was meeting case definition and being tested, we would we would say, you know, if you're sitting in a merge, we weren't wearing masks back in May, April, back then, uh, you had a higher risk. So there was no one benefit of keeping the meds going in because we did have a feeling even near the beginning of COVID that this was going to be a long haul because it's going to take a long time for a vaccine to be known how effective it is. And we were trying to avoid herd immunity because it would have overwhelmed our ICUs. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and also a lot of foresight, you know, thinking ahead to, to all of this. Um, and uh, in terms of the, the management of patients uh, um, throughout their, their uh, disease, so I guess you mentioned that at the beginning of their disease, then you would definitely want to see them in person to more accurately measure their, their, their swollen joints and so on. Uh, and does that change throughout uh, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it might for some people. So that's a very astute question because every patient's their own little trajectory, right? Some are, you know, uh, good, then go out of remission and things like that. Other people, you know, they start in high disease. That's how they actually present with their family physician or present with some kind of signs or symptoms or a blood test mm -hmm. or inflammation marker. And so we want to know that as we adjust meds, we see them more often to make sure they're doing okay, such as rheumatoid, psoriatic arthritis, what have you. But when they're really well, as I say, if I don't know them well, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable just saying, oh, I'm not going to see you now for two years because I'm just going to call you. Because on the other side of the telemedicine is uh, we have already picked up, which we do anyway. I have a large practice, but we, we I wonder what I'm missing. We have picked up two lymphomas and a skin cancer because people came in, none of which they were complaining about by our history and wow. 
vehicle, um, which might not have been found. We have also, uh, you know, determined some people have, say, unstable angina, and they were afraid to go at that early days to the emergency room. So that's the downside. And then people can fake it. If you're talking to a friend on the phone, you can say, they're not trying to fake it. They're just trying to be socially acceptable. I'm not going to complain to my doctor. They only have so much time. So I'm fine. Thank you very much. And I'll have, when I see people in person, we do a, a blood pressure pulse and weight on every visit, which is, a, I think, a really good thing for us to do in our clinic. That's our, um, our, our co-workers are doing that. So sometimes when people before COVID days, the trainee would say they'd see the patient first and say, oh, the patient, the person's really fine. I'll go in the room and go, oh, you've lost weight. What's up? And then I get the real story. Oh, I'm depressed or my husband's diagnosed with cancer or what have you. I'm, I'm stressed or, um, you know, the pills are making me sick, but I know it not because I've looked and compared the weight. Then I look at the weight because I see them. So yeah, you sound good. You don't look yeah. good. So that kind of, that is a real art of medicine. And I think mm -hmm. for the family docs, um, again, some patients say no well, and it's just maybe would have been a blood pressure check and they call and the patient has their home cuff and they already know it's standardized from before. That's not so bad, but someone you don't see uh, in family medicine as a, for instance, until every two or three years, you, you, you really, if you don't look, you don't know. So that, mm -hmm. that to me is the side where I don't think telemedicine, I think it is here to stay, but I don't think it's for everyone. And it shouldn't be every visit in depth definitely where we're not really having a look uh, because people will tell you differently. Some will actually tell you more on the phone because they don't know if you're distracted or not. And they want, they've written notes because they know what time you might be calling. But in person, sometimes you really get a sense of, um, I don't think we're done the interview yet with something else is bothering you. I can tell by your mannerisms. So the whole lack of, um, you know, our, we're social beings and most of us have had vision, right? So we get the, we get the verbal cues for sure, but a lot of communication is unsaid, unspoken. And so mm -hmm. I don't know when I'm going into the virtual room, you know, is this person, you know, what else is up? And we do know stress is way increased, not on everyone. And some people handle it so well, but um, anxiety, stress, uh, there was a big uh, mental health survey of several thousand Canadians in, I think it was around May or June, sometime not too long ago, alcohol increased, people were doing less exercise, not all, just on average, um, and stressors were going up. So the incidence of saying, I'm sleepless, I'm anxious, I feel depressed, was about double what a normal background would be in Canada. And of course they are. Mm -hmm. I've had many people there themselves or their uh, partner, or they might be running the business themselves and they're worried about their own employees. So I've had many people, unfortunately, go under. And that's, mm. you know, we all know how stressful it can be when you're not sure how the bills tomorrow are going to be paid. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, a lot of extra factors um, and comorbidities, if you will, you know, to, to consider, right? Um, right, right. Social comorbidities, which yes. is important, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and, and how do you separate those from the um, the ones that are disease-related? You know, right. uh, can you... Right. 
can you do that effectively? You well, know? For, first of all, they're interlinked because a person's well-being is related to all sorts of aspects of their life. But I mean, sometimes we are trying to be problem solving or just trying to deal with the isolation and saying, well, it sounds like at least when you go on FaceTime or something with your granddaughter, that that really makes you happy. So schedule it in the way we scheduled this visit for you. So we're giving what would be kind of common sense advice. But when you're suffering, isolated, uh, stressed, you don't always reach out for, you know, to talk to, to do the things you love, but also to talk to people. So, um, and, and I think most of all for, you know, for physicians too, they're at risk of burnout all the time, but this is a whole new process. It's scary for some mm -hmm. medical legally, they're worried or they're worried about what they'll miss or not doing the best job or the redundancy in what we're doing. All that adds to time and uh, our, our own workers, our employees are kind of stressed at times too. So I think number one, patients, people, patients, people, physicians, everybody, nurses, healthcare, everybody should be good to themselves. Yeah. Don't beat yourself up. We are doing, we all should try to do the best job we can. And, you know, like teachers, they're stressed. Yeah. Um, you know, some of them are French teachers going to different schools. They don't want to bring that, um, that bubble that expands home to maybe a sick mother that's living mm -hmm. at home, right? Because it's yeah. not about their well-being if they're worried about loved ones. So be good to yourself. Say yes when you can, but don't be afraid to say no. And don't be afraid to reach out because I think, um, you know, we don't want the statistics of overdoses or suicide attempts or worsening depression to be ruling us during this time of uncertainty. I would like that we can hopefully try to, you know, help those who need it. And that is sort of one of the system problems during COVID. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring all of the, the social side of things up because I'm sure when you see your patients in person, you can assess a lot of these more unseen things and, uh, and be able to help that way as well. So yeah, it, it, I'm sure it's much more tricky. Are, are there situations where you do feel okay about the, the virtual platform with your patient uh, with inflammatory arthritis? Mm -hmm. I do. So as a, for instance, uh, uh, on the virtual platform, I might be um, somebody say earlier on in disease, but I know last visit they were in remission. Um, mm -hmm. They're really reliable. So when they're flaring and past, you can see, oh, they called and said, we can see if they've done their labs, which again, that we don't always see the labs, but fair enough. It's hard to get there uh, during COVID and some small labs are shut right down. But the labs that we have on file don't show inflammation. And the patient says, you know, I, I've never felt better because, you know, I, I'm, I'm exercising. I'm trying to deal with COVID uh, mentally to help myself be as good as I can. I'm taking the opportunity because I'm not, say, traveling for my job to do all these other things and uh you know i think my ra feels really good that's solid i it's like okay great i'll uh, next appointment we'll maybe make it in person and we'll alternate phone and in person so that's easy but i have people with scleroderma where um i really do need to look at um their pulmonary artery pressure indirectly at bedside because i'm trying to pick things up early uh, such as pulmonary hypertension high G uh, gvp i'm trying to sort out say if they're short of breath is it heart or lungs or none of the above deconditioning is it copd 
or asthma flare. So that kind of person who's not, um, not, you know, if they're markedly bad, they probably ended up in the emergency room or hopefully calling to come in and be seen and skipping the emergency room. But if they're kind of smoldering along, but not as good as I thought last time, and you have to know them to really get that sort of mm -hmm. spidey sense, then it's like, okay, why don't we just bring you in? So do you think soon? And I just negotiate all the time. So do you think like within the next couple of weeks, or do you think you want to hold off for three months, but knowing it's winter, et cetera. So uh, a again, a lot of people go, oh, they're relieved to be, uh, you know, helping the decision because some are afraid mm -hmm. of COVID or, you know, I've had people from uh, Lion's Head, which is near Topramori, and they say, we don't have any cases here. And so I'm reluctant to come because I interact mm. with whomever. And it's like, okay, you say you're good. And, and again, so I think the patient centeredness, but again, new patients or a follow-up for the first time, and you just don't get a sense, or if you think it's a mismatch, what you're telling me and what I'm thinking might be going on aren't adding up, let's just do a mm -hmm. visit. And most people are, uh, as I say, relieved or happy to do that. Right. And, and do, you, um, do you still follow the treat-to-target protocol uh, in, in the face of other COVID complications? That, that, too, is a wonderful question. So, uh, yes. So, I am treating to target. So, I'm not afraid to change up their meds during COVID because this is a chronic thing. It's, um, it's kind of like having flu season every season, if you think of it that way, <laughs> that you know it's going to be around a while. So, um, we can't compromise someone's health in the long term because I'm stalling for two years. And I have had people worried about taking their disease-modifying drugs like new starts because they are worried about COVID and they're worried about the drugs and honesty too and aren't really maybe bought into all this. Um, you have to work with them. You have to do it on their own level. But I do think like if I don't get you great it's an opportunity lost, particularly early. And great doesn't mean full remission forever. People can come out of remission or still have pain and suffering for sure. But mm -hmm. I think we have to still use our principles. And that would be, again, same in diabetes. They're still trying to target the HbA1c. I'm still trying to target like little to no swollen joints, um, good function, low inflammatory markers. So whether it's a CDI score of tender swollen, which I can't all do on the phone, uh, and patient and physician globalists assessment or whether it's other targets I'm still trying to achieve them yeah that's that's a that's an excellent point I mean the, the just being able to still treat as effectively as you possibly can despite COVID instead of you know altering treatment and perhaps harming their health long term you know it makes a lot of sense uh, have you any sort of um, personal patient stories that you can share you know obviously uh, keeping things that uh, you know <laughs> patient names confidential and so on but that where you found that you started out virtually and you realized oh you need to see this person and you were surprised by that you know? Uh, right. So uh, I have had people where, uh, because the trainees are also talking to them. So in the old pre-COVID world, I laid eyes and hands. I examined every single patient that came in, irrespective of why I did a quick joint count because it's quite quick. And then where appropriate heart, lungs, abdomen, things like that. So the trainees will say things like, oh, they're really flaring. And I'll go, well, this person, usually there's a mismatch between what they think because they, 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 they do have pain. I'm not saying they don't have pain, but they think it's their active RA and it's like their sciatica, their fibromyalgia, their OA, their damage, their tendonitis, what have you. 
and I'll say, let's bring them in because I actually don't think they're flaring, but maybe we can inject the shoulder because they have shoulder tendonitis and they'll come in and I'll go, oh my gosh, you're right. You really are flaring. So I've had the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. I think we can help the patient. And then I have people the other way. They say they're okay. And I go, I don't like your labs. You need to come in. And then we, so we can have the mismatch both ways. It's like, oh, I am reassured. So, well, let's look again and see why did your inflammatory markers transiently go up or why did your hemoglobin go down for a while? So again, it's, um, we're trying to be holistic, but I tell the trainees, it's kind of like treating a blood pressure and not knowing the results. They say, yeah. oh, blood pressure is good. And I go, well, what's your, what are your numbers? And <laughs> right. they say, so it's a, and then some people surprisingly can say, well, it's my pointer finger where it hooks on my hand. That's really swollen. You've injected it before it's helped. Can I come in? Perfect. We understand that. Right. But not everyone can speak in those sorts of terms. It's um, a health literacy, but it's also how they've figured out to tell us. It's not just literacy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, those are some really good points. And, I, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, from what you're saying, it, it must be hard not to, you know, miss some, and I'm sure some people are being missed in terms of coming in where it would have been beneficial for them to come in. But how can you really appropriately, appropriately make that assessment? You know, it must be very tricky, very hard and stressful on positions, I'm sure. Right, yeah. it's tricky. And I think it's probably, in fairness, even trickier for those starting out in practice or not as seasoned as I would be. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, that's those are some very, very good points, <laughs> Dr. Pope. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, happy that you're chugging along there and, and managing to, uh, to sort of make sense of all this and during these crazy times. So, uh, no, I really appreciate the time that you put into this and, and uh, spending with us. I'm sure our, our listeners will be really interested to hear about this. So, yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much. And always listen to the person on the other end of the line, because that's the only sense we're using at the time. Listen to them. And if you're uncertain, bring them in or uh, have an alternate arrangement. Maybe it's sending a photo or something. So listen to what they tell you, because they do know best, even though mm -hmm. I'm telling you I have the medical knowledge and we might have a mismatch. They know that something's changed, if it has. Right. Great. Great. Great well, well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Dr. Pope.